All right, back on the Young Turks. Joining me now is Congressman Ro Khanna, original Justice Democrat. Congressman Khanna, welcome back to the Young Turks. It's great to be back on, Jake. All right, great to have you. So I'm gonna start with actual legislation. And yes, actually last week we were talking about something that the Democrats were proud that they were passing, which is the ability of the government to negotiate drug prices. And there was a little bit of a kerfuffle within the Democratic Party about how many drugs should be included. I believe that the progressive camp got leadership to move from 25 drugs to 35 drugs. Isn't that a tiny amount of drugs overall in the landscape of American healthcare? It is, Jake. I mean, I don't understand it yet. We had moderate Democrats like Connor Lamb run on. Uh, Medicare negotiation. I mean, this isn't Medicare for all. This is just saying that uh, Medicare should be able to negotiate for the price you're paying for drugs. Uh, and every drug, uh, in my view, should be covered. I really don't understand uh, why not. Now, the uh, CBO says, well, it's going to cost money administratively. So if I understand if you say, okay, let's do 25, 30 drugs a year, but eventually over five years, we're going to get all of the drugs covered. But why we would cap this at 25 to 35 drugs makes no sense. If they say it's the most expensive drugs, well, maybe it's the most expensive drugs, but you can't then go to people and say the drugs you use are now going to be cheaper because uh, the chances that they're using just those 25 most expensive drugs are are very low. So am I going to support a bill given uh, that there's no other alternative? Possibly the progressives would, but uh, the, the point is that this is far from adequate. And Lloyd Doggett, myself, Mark Pocan, and others have been fighting uh, to have a bill that actually is Medicare negotiation. Well, the corporate Democratic position is nonsensical. It's going to cost some uh, administratively. But the whole point is we save a ton of money by negotiating drug prices. Uh, the amount of money we save would uh, wash out the administrative expenses immediately and overwhelmingly. So it's a preposterous point to make. So in fact, you know, I was gonna mention Lloyd Doggett insisting on making it 50 drugs and eventually 100 drugs and the corporate Democrats vote no, it's unconscionable. And Mark Pocan, head of the Progressive Caucus said that he's literally never had anyone explain to him why it can't be all drugs. That there's not even an ex- a justification for it. So. Why are the corporate Democrats doing it? Why are they limiting the number of drugs we can negotiate on? The only thing, honestly, that I can think of is the pharmaceutical company's influence, and that there has been some deal that, look, we're not going to go beyond these amount of drugs. And the pharmaceutical companies are running disingenuous attack ads against some of our members of Congress, which is what I don't understand. I mean, they're running attack ads anyway on the uh, 25 drugs. So you might as well then uh, understand that they're not going to be uh, the uh, allies in this. They are uh, going to be the opposition, and we ought to be willing to to fight them and stand up for them. Especially when in 2018, all our candidates ran on this. The polling shows 80% of Americans care about high prescription drugs. You know, it's such a big issue that Donald Trump has talked about this in his campaign and his presidency. Uh, And this would be a clear way for us to distinguish ourselves from Donald Trump. I mean, if we said, look, we did this, Trump promised it, he didn't, House Democrats have delivered, give us a Democratic president, give us a Democratic Senate so we can get this done, that's a message. If we go, well, we did it for 25 drugs, 35 drugs, 
that's not a that's not as clear a message. So it's special interests. Yeah. No, look, that's exactly right. And my opinion is, as, as Congressman Khanna pointed out, one idea is, is they get paid by the drug companies. So that's why they limit the number of drugs we can negotiate. The other idea is that the Democratic Party uh, is painfully stupid. They think that, oh, the Republicans will not attack us in ads if we are limited to 25 or 35 drugs. Well, we know that's not true. and. It's never been true. They attack you no matter what you do. And Congressman Khanna, along those lines, um, is it if you keep it to 35 drugs, will Mitch McConnell allow for a vote in the Senate? And will you guys win on this issue? No, and that's the other thing. And Lloyd Doggett and Mark Pocan at Progressive Caucus meetings, and I have raised this. We say, okay, is the president going to sign the deal? Is McConnell going to sign the deal? If you came to us, I mean, we're not unreasonable people. If you said, look, yeah, we wanted everything, but We've got to get the bill across, and this is the only thing the president has agreed to sign. And McConnell has agreed to move, and we want to put the country first and people first, and so take the progress. You'd get a lot of progressives being reasonable, but here is what we can't understand. I mean, McConnell isn't going to move this bill. The president isn't going to sign this bill. We've got no commitment from the White House, so we're literally negotiating against ourselves with the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, that's what this whole process is. Because you're negotiating against yourselves, but the corporate Democrats aren't. They're negotiating on behalf of their drug company donors. I so I look. It's easy for me to say that, but I'm curious, uh, Congressman, what happens behind the scenes in, in Congress? So when Lloyd Doggett uh, proposed an amendment that would increase the number of drugs, uh, we saw that that a lot of Democrats were publicly. Um, Upset at him, saying basically, how dare he? And that's just what they leak to reporters. Well, what happens behind the scenes? What, what kind of pressure do they put on you guys to say basically, how dare you? They put a lot of pressure, and I supported Doggett doing that, uh, as did some of the Progressive Caucus. But they uh, berate uh, and, and push back in caucus meetings. They say that this is not being a team player, that this isn't looking out for uh, the caucus's interests. Uh, and they're, I admire Doggett for standing up for for his principles. And what we're asking for is an honest explanation about why this compromise was made. And again, no one is criticizing the effort. And people are saying, fine, I mean, it's better than nothing. Uh, but what we're trying to understand is why you couldn't just have a clean bill uh, that said we're going to negotiate for all, all drugs. And again, look, some of it is about staffing up and if it takes more time. Fine, have you know Bernie Sanders' Medicare for all would be a four-year period. No one is saying you have to do it in six months. But why are you limiting it to 25 to 35 drugs and creating that precedent? Yeah, uh, look, Congressman, you, you were the first to start uh, and, and be the first member of Just Democrats. Uh, I, I think it's time for the Justice Caucus because you know that what triggered that for me was your answer. Uh, oh, what, why are you hurting the team? What team? I don't know about you, Congressman. I'm not on their team. I'm not on the team that wants to help the drug companies by doing window dressing and only doing 35 drugs out of thousands of drugs in the country, and then giving drug company talking points to excuse it. I'm not on that team. So, I mean, look, I don't know that it's anywhere near close, but put aside a caucus if you want to. If you want to announce it, great. I'd love to have it, right? But even within the Progressive Caucus, is there conversations about, hey guys, can we just be honest and say we're not on the same team? Uh, 
that there are many things that we just disagree on. There's nothing wrong with that. It, we have policy disagreements. And so stop saying we're on the same team when we're not. Well, I would say we are being increasingly blunt about where we disagree. I mean, there has been a huge fight on uh, this prescription drug issue for the past four or five months. I mean, it's coming to the surface now, but uh, Doggett has been raising this for four or five months, as have I, as has Mark Pocan uh, and some of the other members. And there are other areas we have pushed for a defense budget cuts. Uh, we haven't gotten that. We're now pushing for an amendment uh, to limit funding from Iran. Uh, for a war in Iran, that is uh, potentially on the chopping block. Uh, we have we uh, on the Turkey sanctions that uh, were passed. We wanted to make sure that that didn't uh, that they weren't overbroad or commit uh, military troops into the Middle East. So I I think that the there is no doubt that the caucus is taking positions that are different uh, than some of the mainstream uh, status quo politics. Uh, you can question, and I know you always push us to. To be bolder, to do, to, to be more uh, willing to uh, to depart uh, from the leadership, and you know it's a balancing act uh, in in what how far we're going to push. But I I do think we have been pushing more than certainly uh, last Congress. So to that point, I, I want to ask you generally because I think a lot of the audience uh, might be under a misimpression that we're eventually going to vote on Medicare for all. There's no plans of doing that in this term. Is that correct? Unfortunately, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, we should. I mean, I've been pushing. Pramila has been pushing, saying we, we're having a hard time getting hearings, let alone uh, a vote. Uh, we just want we want a hearing. We want to vote when the polling shows it's overwhelmingly popular with the uh, with, with the uh, Democratic electorate. It's popular with the general electorate, but certainly it's popular with Democrats. And here's what we're frustrated about: two of the three leading presidential candidates are running on Medicare for all. Uh, you know what I said? We probably we can't even get a vote on Joe Biden's public option or Pew Buttigieg's Medicare if you want it plan, which I totally disagree with because it's going to keep costs high. But we we may not even be get, able to get a vote on that, let alone getting a vote on Medicare for all. Uh, and it's it's frustrating. Uh, I have the view that we all should have a vote on Medicare for all. Let's have a vote on the Green New Deal. Let's have a vote on uh, increasing two trillion dollar infrastructure bill. Let's have a vote on making sure. That we have free public college, and you know, people say, "Well, we can't lose these votes." I say, "Who cares if you lose a vote?" I mean, it, it, the Congress isn't about winning votes. Congress is about standing up for ideas. But the view in uh, Congress about the leadership is, you don't bring something to the floor unless you can win. Uh, and you know, if you have that view, well, we don't have the votes right now to win on Medicare for all. But it's just a different philosophy of how to legislate and make progress. I I don't have a view that putting people on record going on. Uh, and having votes where you may have 130 votes this Congress, but we build to 218 is a bad idea. That's exactly right. Look, the last part of what uh, Congressman Connor said there is so important. You fight for ideas and you continue to have votes until you get to the majority, until you win the vote. Of course, you want to win the vote in the beginning, uh, I mean, eventually, but you're never going to win it if you don't have it, <laughs> if you're never ever going to vote on it. And so, Congressman Connor, we had the House. Flip over to the Democrats overwhelmingly, and I think a lot of people might have thought that you guys were going to vote on progressive priorities. And so far, it sounds like in this term, you're not going to vote on any of them: Medicare for all, Green New Deal, College for all, none of them. So, if that's the case, are we even sure that if a progressive won the presidency, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, that you'd vote even then? 
couldn't Pelosi say half my caucus is corporate Democrats and they they take their drug company money and they don't want to vote. They don't want to vote on Medicare for all. So I'm not going to vote on Medicare for all. Well, first, I, just to be balanced, there are some progressive policies we have gotten through the $15 minimum wage. There was a strong campaign finance bill passed that would overturn Citizens United that would move towards democracy dollars, which would give every citizen $50 to vote and try to outlaw private money. It didn't go quite that far, but it was a step in the right direction. The Equality Act was a strong act to give people LGBTQ citizens equal rights. So there there has been some progressive progress, but I agree with you, not nearly enough and not the signature issues of Senator Sanders or Senator Warren, free public college, forgiving student debt, infrastructure spending, Medicare for all. None of those issues have had a vote. And you're right to be concerned that if we had a progressive president, it's not going to be automatic that the House or Senate would vote for their policies, which is why Senator Sanders talks about building a movement. And he understands that putting a person in the White House is wholly insufficient. It would be like if you had a great quarterback and you didn't have anyone on the offensive line, you didn't have any good receivers, you didn't have a running back. You know, the quarterback can do a lot, but probably not going to get the ball in the end zone. And so it's going to take a movement of people across this country. It's going to take leaders in Congress and the Senate and to get this progressive agenda through. It's like, you know, people say, what do you want to do, Rowan? I say, you know, if we get if we're fortunate enough to get a progressive president, I want to lead in Congress so we could actually get things done because we need people in, in the House and in the Senate. That's exactly right. Uh, I mean, the idea that we might win the presidency and Pelosi and Schumer might block all of our priorities anyway is maddening, but very, very real possibility. They could both say, I don't care what the people wanted. I don't care what the my so-called president wants. I'm not gonna even forget winning a vote. I'm not even gonna allow a vote on Medicare for all or Green New Deal. That is entirely possible. They have never ever said that they would allow a vote on that. So, and I don't know any reporter that's ever asked them. So that's the insane Alice in Wonderland a, issue that uh, it's a world that we live in right now. Uh, it's a fair question, but, but you know, it's when Bernie Sanders talks about a political revolution, if you want change, of the kind that we're proposing, a new progressive era, like you saw in Roosevelt with the New Deal or the progressive era in the early 1900s, you need not just a president, you need a movement and you need uh, a, a whole new generation of justice Democrats in Congress, in, in the Senate, or, or at least people fearing uh, that justice Democrats are gonna run in their districts uh, and that there be some consequence. And that's why some of us have been pushing for these votes uh, because right now uh, people get away with not having to take a clear position and it doesn't even allow for uh, party competition and primaries, which I think are a good thing. Absolutely. All right, Congressman Ro Khanna, uh, for fighting for the people as usual. Uh, thank you for joining us, really, really appreciate it. Well, Jank, thank you. And uh, you know, you were the talk, I was at CEPR, which is a progressive policy think tank and two people had mentioned that uh, I was gonna be on your show. So you have now seeped into the uh, Washington DC think tank world. All right, well. Wait till they get a load of me. Um, <laughs> all right, thank you, Congressman. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Uh, all right, guys. So we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Greg Palace talking about um, voter suppression and how we're gonna fight back uh, this time around. We'll be right back.
All right, back in the Young Turks. Um, in a little bit, we're going to do the post game for the members. Uh, we're going to bust up Megan McCain a little bit, so that's going to be fun. <laughs> Uh, and apparently, uh, one of you guys made a video uh, of uh, like a remix of my interview with Nina Turner uh, in the spin room. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. We're gonna do that in the post game too. So tyt.com slash join to become a member and check that out. If you're a Young Turks member on YouTube, you also get the post games at the 499 level. You could do that by just clicking the join blue join button right underneath the videos if you're watching on YouTube. Okay. Joining me now is Greg Palast. He is the Puffin Foundation Fellow in Investigative Reporting. He's also the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, which is also now a feature documentary. Greg, good to have you back, man. Glad to be with you, Cenk. All right, great. So there's a lot of topics to discuss as quickly as we can. First, let's talk about the power companies, because mm -hmm. it turns out you actually used to investigate power companies. Yeah, before I was an investigative reporter, I had an actual job, which is I was investigating power company crimes for the US Justice Department and countries all over the world. Attorneys General, I even work with California Public Utility Commission. So I know all about this crime wave parading as a power company called PG&E. So obviously in California here, we are having major issues. They're shutting off the power for long stretches and because of the fires. So what's your take on that? I don't know, Is should they not shut off the power? Is that a legitimate concern? Well, what's your thoughts th on There's it? a couple things. Okay, the Kincaid fire was started because a jumper cable on a PG&E line busted. And, um, and, and so what happened was they said that they were gonna fix that by this past April, two years. And they still hadn't fixed it because they were taking their money, they were paying dividends. Now they're in bankruptcy, they're still paying off their bondholders at exorbitant rates instead of fixing the system that they promised to fix. Now, understand, you and I pay electric bills in California. If you're in Northern California, you're paying PG&E. They were actually given our money to fix those lines, they didn't do it. So rather than fix the lines, they've been paying off their executives and the speculators. Instead of maintaining the system, this is caused, this means that their systems are blowing up, their transformers are blowing up, causing fires. This doesn't happen in the rest of the world. This is like, this is like Pakistan. So they're turning off the power in wide swaths, partly because they also didn't spend the money on, you put wind machines and meteorological sensors all over your the mountain areas as the Department of Water and Power does here in Los Angeles, which is a government owned system. So they spend more money on protection. And so you don't have to cut off 100,000 people at a time. In LA, there are high Santa Ana winds, you'll cut off 1,000 or 2,000 because you have to. But you don't cut off a quarter million people at a, at a clip because you didn't maintain the system with our money that we gave you. That is, by the way, I brought charges, criminal charges with the Justice Department against companies for doing the same thing previously. These guys, it's time to put them out of, out of business and turn them into a government agency. So I wanna talk about that too. Look, in the post game today, mm -hmm. I also wanna talk about the fires, because one mm -hmm. of our hosts had to leave his house. Yeah. And I wanna give you just a little bit more details about that, tyt.com slash join if you wanna hear the post games, but in, we got the fire in LA, we got the fire, Kincaid fire in Northern California that you're yep. talking about. And and uh, it's the utilities making these decisions and they're called public utilities. So I've always been uh, honestly a little confused about, are they public, are they private, what are they? Okay, in Los Angeles, we have a publicly owned system. So we don't, 
So it's not a system that burns up or blows up its customers. In most of California, Northern California, you have a private company which calls itself a public utility, but it's a stockholder company. So they put their stockholders first. The problem with that is that you had you had eight people blown up and burnt to death in San Bruno because they didn't properly maintain the gas lines. I investigated that, by the way, for for British television of all things, and we found that they did not properly. Uh, basically test their gas lines as they're required to by law. Okay, that's one. So then you have 100 people blown, uh, burnt to death in two major fires caused by their faulty equipment. Okay, you have to understand power equipment's not supposed to burn you up. And so what happens, I've found throughout my investigations worldwide, when you have public systems, people survive. When you have private systems, you're gonna find out that people are burnt to death. I, I hate to put it this way, for profit because it's not that they want to kill you for a profit. It's just that they're not putting in the money that they've been given to maintain the systems. We, it's, it's absolutely insane. I just came back from like Switzerland where they don't have such things. You notice all over California, especially Northern California, you have power lines running through forests. So when they drop, when they break or, or the transformers snap, you, it, the whole place blows up and you have a massive fire. You should be putting these things underground as they do in civilized nations. This is not Pakistan. We're talking Silicon Valley, the richest area on this planet, most inventive area. Um, you know, look, you don't have sewer lines in the air because they break. It's it's a mess. <laughs> Good <laughs> but point. It doesn't kill Good you. Point. That's you got a power great line point, in the actually. air and it breaks. We got so used to junky systems like Pakistan yeah. that we don't even notice. So it's not a public utility in Northern California. Ain't public, and it ought to be. In New York, when we had a same renegade type company, which is endangering people, power going off all the time, it had a giant utility, Lilco, three million customers. The state simply said enough is enough and took them over and it was run by the public at a low cost, more reliable, safer, cheaper. And that's what we need in California. Enough, if it's a public yeah. utility, it should be public. Okay, I'm gonna say the last two things on that and then I wanna turn to voter suppression, which okay. you're talking about. So look, uh, when I moved to this country, I came from Turkey when I was yeah. eight years old. Mm -hmm. And in Turkey, the power and the water would get shut off all the time. You're yeah. like, oh, this 12 hours or this two days or whatever, you're not gonna have uh, power. And yeah. so when I came to America and the power and the water, I literally asked as a little eight year old kid, like, so they never shut off the power? They never <laughs> shut off the water? I'm like, this place is like heaven, right? Well, we've lost paradise. Literally in Northern California. In, in Northern California, there was a city called Paradise that burned uh, down because of this, and, and we lost what made America great. And it wasn't profit making. That's what Republicans tell you. Oh, what makes America great is everybody just ripping other people off and getting as much profit as they can, and just to, no, that's not true. So when Buttigieg says, um, "Oh, look, I just want to give people a choice in healthcare," it's like saying, uh, as one of our viewers pointed out earlier in the show. It's like saying, oh, I wanna give you a choice on fire insurance. You could either have your burn house burnt down because you didn't have enough money for fire insurance, or we have a public fire department. That's not a choice, that's not a choice. Well, you want a socialist <laughs> fire department? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, so look, we have socialist fire departments, you know, and we have socialist water in most of California, which by the way is privatized in other places and the water goes off. So in, in Southern California, you have a, a public water and power system, and we don't have lights and power and water going off all the time. In Northern California, you, your company is literally killing its customers. Okay, enough, all right, enough. Because 
you can't have a free market in electricity. I've heard this baloney. I was lecturing at, at Cambridge in, in England, and, and these professors talking about the free market in electricity in California. Isn't it wonderful? I said, unfortunately, there's one wire that goes in your house. You don't have two switches. Oh, I want this company for this light bulb and that company for that light bulb. It's nonsense. These guys have us by the bulbs enough. It's enough. <laughs> Let's bring democracy and socialism. This, the, the answer, you don't want fires in Northern California? We need a socialized electric system like we have in, in Los Angeles. You know? Yeah. All right, so uh, voter suppression, obviously a disaster. We've talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, cost the election in Georgia, no question about it. No question. So we're going into 2020 here. We're going into the primaries. Oh, look out. Yeah, so w what's the current state of play? I know uh, that obviously Stacey Abrams is working on a, a yeah, so effort to register more voters. Yeah, yeah. And so is Gillum. Etc. So t t okay. tell us where we Bless are. Bless Stacey Abrams, who was the first black woman to ever run for governor. The election was stolen from her in Georgia last year. Uh, her legal team has hired my team to provide all our databases and expert testimony for her federal lawsuit because we found out we sued Brian Kemp, the guy who was in charge of the election. He's also running for governor as the GOP candidate. <laughs> you know, so you know he's Same. fixing his own election. He removed, are you ready? We have the names and addresses of 340,134 voters, most of them black voters who were removed from the voter rolls of Georgia illegally. We have their names and addresses. And Stacey Abrams lost by just a fraction of that amount. That is, you took away a third of a million legal Georgians off the voter rolls, and you get the GOP candidate making himself governor. Now, the problem is, while it's great that I'm working with Stacey Abrams and her crew in federal court in Georgia, this trick has spread to 20 other states. We're talking Virginia, North Carolina, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, basically the big swing states. Um, and so I'm very concerned that the same trickery that removed a third of a million people in Georgia illegally is going to now hit uh, uh, other states in mass. And we just had about 400,000 people removed in Ohio. And I can tell you, our analysis is about 70% of those removals were illegal. Mostly young people, um, urban people, renters from our information. Uh, we hope to bring a court case, but even more, I'll be, you know, I will be reporting on that. You know, I'll, by the way, to announce that I'm gonna be doing investigative reporting for the Guardian newspapers um, for 2020. But I'll stay with you, Chank, because make sure you get those reports too. All right, that's that's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, and uh, look, if you vote for Republicans, they're going to look to cheat. They're looking to cheat uh, in all these voter rolls cases. And when I say cheat, uh, I mean it. Um, so it's not it, it. You would have to be an unbelievable sucker to think, oh, what a wonderful coincidence! It turns out they took out young voters, African American voters. And all the different voters that are likely to vote Democratic. Huh, what a lucky break the Republicans caught in all those different states. So they're doing it on purpose, obviously, and they shouldn't be allowed to get away with it. It's a affront to our democracy. But you mentioned Virginia there. Mm -hmm. Virginia now is the Democratic governor, and so what's going on? Okay, you've got you've got a legislature which is still by one single voter's vote, Republican, but you also have um, a election boards which is controlled by the GOP. But more, they're still maintaining, and here's one of the problems we have. Democrats come in while Republicans come in and they change the whole voting system to fix the system for themselves. Democrats come in and are very slow to reverse the game. They have studies and they look at it and they play around, and then the election goes by. Here's the uh, problem. We had in Virginia, 
I had uh, Chris Kobach, remember that guy, Chris Kobach oh, of, of course, Kansas? If yeah. you don't remember, Mr. KKK, Chris Kobach of Kansas, he had this system called Interstate Crosscheck. He gave a list of people to Virginia that he said were voting in two states, okay? And on that basis, Virginia removed 46,000 voters from the voter rolls. That's in Virginia. Not one was an illegal double voter, but 46,000 people. And with names like Rodriguez, Garcia, Black, Johnson, you kind of get it, the mm -hmm. bluish voters. Yeah. So look, I always believe in striking back. So uh, the minute any red state does it, if I was in a blue state and controlled it, I'd say, oh yeah, yeah, well, we just happened to find a whole bunch of voters that were in rich suburban areas and 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 in evangelical neighborhoods. Uh, look at that, they got the same name too. I, I crossed all them off the list, sad day, okay? You guys wanna play, let's keep playing. Anyway, we're out of times, but okay. I know you wanted to say one thing about the Dayton shooting and, and work on that. Uh, that that's right, uh, my uh, assistant producer, Jevin Lamar from Dayton, Ohio, his cousin TJ was gunned down in the massacre. We promised a damage report that uh, Jevin was gonna, he's a hip hop artist that he created a hip hop track uh, that you can show on uh, TYT about Dayton, about his cousin, because we're raising money for a group called Daybreak Dayton, which is a homeless shelter where Jevin himself had to go for, for shelter. Okay, so everybody check that out. Uh, try to put a link down below uh, if you're watching this later. Yeah, we'll, we'll get that to you. We are about to okay. release it in a week. All right, great. Uh, so please check that out when it comes out. Greg, thank you for joining us. You're Appreciate very it. welcome, Jake. Okay, all right guys, when we come back, we're gonna do that post game uh, about the fires and how it's affected us here in California. I'll tell you the host who uh, is out of his home uh, and we'll do Megan McCain and, and uh, the other things that we promised you guys. TYT.com slash join to become a member. We'll see you there.